Amen. Why don't we do that one more time to Jesus? Just put your hands together. Give him praise because he's awesome. Thank you, Jesus, for your goodness, for your love. Amen. Thank you, Jesus, that we get to feel your presence today with our brothers and sisters, friends and family. Amen. Uh, you can be seated just for a moment, and we will stand for the reading of the word in just a second. I'm going to give uh, this text to the media team. My apologies for not giving it sooner, but we will be reading from Second um, Samuel chapter 4 and verse 4, and then Second Samuel 9 verses 3 through 11. Second Samuel 4 and verse 4, and then Second Samuel 9, 3 through 11. And if it's okay, I'm going to, uh, you can put it up um, on the screen if you have it uh, in the King James, of course, it's totally fine. I'm going to read it in the ESV, and you can see it on the screen in KJV, and that way we just get an even fuller uh, picture of what's happening here. Um, and while they're preparing that, I just want to say what an honor and privilege it is. Oh, wonderful, they've got it up already. Well, just hold that there. We'll dive into that in a moment. Thank you so much to the media team. I wanted to say what a privilege and honor it is to be back here with all of you in beautiful Carson City, Nevada. Thank you so much for having us. Amen. And uh, I think the last time we had the privilege of being here was the end of 2021. I think it was in December. So it's been uh, about a year and a half. Time flies. It's been too long since we've got to see you awesome people. So we're so glad uh, that we get to see you. My wife sends her love and her greetings. She was unable to be here. She's back in Spokane. Uh, I know she's the party. She's the fun one, so I apologize. You're stuck with me, uh, but I'm happy that I get to see you, get to be here. It's good to see familiar faces and always good to see new faces. It's also good to see the faces that, you know, uh, you, you see and uh, they're just coming. They're, they're new, and uh, you're praying that they will continue to just fall in love with the Lord and let the Lord order their steps. And I'm so glad to see those faces here. You've continued to let the Lord work in your life, made the best decision to give your life to him and come to this church. And uh, it's so good to see you as well. Thank you to Pastor Hood and his wife for the honor to be here, the invitation to be here. We love your pastor and his wife. Uh, they've just become such good friends to us. We got to even go overseas with them one time uh, in Costa Rica, got to minister there, spend some time with them. And we just have a lot of funny stories, good memories. We love the hoods. You all are blessed to have them. I know you know that. And happy almost five years. Amen. Congratulations. That's so awesome. Um, I'm just so excited about what God is doing around here. Amen. I'm sure there's things I'm forgetting. If so, forgive me. I'll try to make it up to you. Look forward to getting to shake your hand, talk with you after service. But I do want to dive into the word of the Lord here. Um, I feel like God wants to speak to us today. And so we can stand, if that's your custom, for the reading of the word, Second Samuel 4 and 4. And uh, as your pastor mentioned, thank God. God bless everyone that makes just things work around here. The Sunday school teachers, media team, the volunteers, youth leaders, mus musicians, all of it. Thank you for what you do. God bless you. Amen. And we love those kids. And, and we, I could just tell, I just had a feeling Sunday school is going to be lit today. God, we need to pray extra grace upon those awesome teachers. Amen. It's, it's going to be truly the Wild West over there. And I'm, amen. God bless those teachers. That's, that's ministry. Amen. Amen. Let's read this together. 2 Samuel 4 and 4. Jonathan, the son of Saul, had a son who was crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan, this is the news that his father and grandfather had been killed. He was five years old when the news came, and his nurse took him up and fled. And as she fled in her haste, she fell, uh, he fell, excuse me, she dropped the boy, and he became lame, and his name was Mephibosheth. Now you can go ahead to... Uh, ahead to 2 Samuel 9, verse 3. And I'll just say while that's coming, um, I, this is going to sound funny, but, but just hear me for a second. If maybe if you're new here, uh, you just started coming, you're still learning about the Bible, about Jesus and all of that, um, you're going to hear me say this name Mephibosheth a lot. And sometimes with ancient names, we can kind of tune out. Uh, I, I've, I've done it before, especially when I first started coming. I would hear names that I had no reference for. You just don't really meet people in the street these days named Mephibosheth or Melchizedek. People just aren't naming their kids that anymore. 
And so when you hear those names, sometimes you can feel a disconnect, especially if you're uh, just learning the Bible. And so that's why with the New Testament, you hear names like Mark and Luke and John. It's easier to connect. But I just want to encourage someone, don't disconnect. Don't, don't tune out, even though it might feel natural and instinctive when you keep hearing some of these old names, because this story is very significant and has a lot of relevance for our life today, which is why we're going to be preaching from it. So I just share that as someone, I know what it's like to be kind of new, come back to the church, and you just kind of hear all this stuff, and it's, it's easy to kind of, you think it sounds a little archaic, so it's easy for your brain to tune it out. Just hang with us, because God wants to use this story to help you and heal someone today. Amen? Second Samuel 9, verse 3, if we could put it up there, we'll continue with the story about Mephibosheth. Amen? If you got it. You got your Bibles, we'll just follow along. 2 Samuel 9, 3 through 11. The Bible says, The king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king, this is David, said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. See, I told you there'd be lots of names we're not as familiar with. But then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat at my table always. You shall eat at the king's table always. And Mephibosheth paid homage and said again, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? And then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belonged to Saul and to his house I have given to your master's grandson, Mephibosheth. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him, shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Amen. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. And Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord, the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. And we'll conclude with this final sentence. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons, adopted into the family to eat and feast and dine and be blessed by the king for the rest of his life. Amen. What I want to preach to us about today, I know that was a little lengthy reading. Thanks for your patience. But I want to preach to us today about the king's table. The king's table. Amen. One more time. Can we put down our Bibles? Can we lift up our hands and welcome the Lord one more time into our hearts? Let's get rid of every distraction. Maybe some bad things have happened this week or this past month. Maybe you're here and you're a little hurt and you're depressed and there's things going on in your life. I want to encourage you to offer all of that to the Lord right now. Say, God, I'm giving that to you. I'm putting it aside for a moment so I can hear your voice and let you heal all the burdens and baggage that I've stepped into this church with. God, I give you my heart. I give you my mind. I give you my attention. Lord, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven, in Carson City as it is in heaven, at Ark as it is in heaven, in their hearts and in my heart as it is in heaven. God, heal us from shame. Heal us from depression. Heal us from hurt. Heal us from bitterness. God, do internal miracles in our hearts and our minds today. Fill somebody with your spirit. Show someone their need to be baptized and have their sins washed away. God, do what only you can do in this house. In Jesus' name we pray. Why don't we clap our hands, amen, before we're seated today. You can be seated. Thank you for standing. If anyone had a right to get bitter over his brokenness, if anyone had a right to just give up and stop caring altogether, it was Mephibosheth, the young man that we read about just a moment ago. His grand, for those that don't know, his grandfather Saul was wicked. His father Jonathan died when he was young. The scripture said when he was only five years old. And Mephibosheth became crippled from a very young age due to no fault of his own. He did nothing to deserve the brokenness that was imparted to him. 
life had dealt him a really bad deck of cards. Has anybody ever felt like life has just not been the kindest to you? Mephibosheth knows what that feels like, and I'm sure Mephibosheth had questions about his life. Anybody ever had questions about why things have happened to you in your life? I'm sure Mephibosheth wanted to know why, excuse me, that he had to grow up without a dad. He was human, like you and me, and so I'm sure, like many of you perhaps, that grew up without parents or without a dad or without a mom or, or, or maybe a dad or mom that was there but just wasn't emotionally present or worse, were unkind or abusive. I'm sure there's been times where you asked yourself, why did it have to be this way? Why did I have to grow up like this? I'm sure Mephibosheth wondered why he had been dropped and hurt when he was little. He, he did nothing to deserve that. But Mephibosheth did not let all of this pain and all of these unanswered questions and all this confusion about his life, he didn't let any of the, these things keep him from bowing to the king when the invitation from the king went forth. He, he, he did not let all of these things that he did not know stop him from getting on his knees before the king. And instead of staying in his pain, instead of just perpetually living in his emptiness, Mephibosheth accepted the king's offer and he chose to sit at the king's table. I've just come to preach to, and remind you of some things you, you, you may already be familiar with, but in the middle of his brokenness, the king invited Mephibosheth to the table and Mephibosheth accepted and ate with the king for the rest of his life. And there's an invitation going forth to everybody in this house today to step deeper into the presence of Jesus, deeper into the joy and the love and the goodness of Jesus. And what God wants to know is, are we going to let all the things that we don't know keep us from what we do know? Are we going to let our past keep us from accepting the hand of the one who holds the future? Are, are we going to let all of the, the pain and things that we truly never asked for and the burden and the weight and the shame, are we going to let that keep us from pulling up a seat at the king's table or are we going to say God I trust you here I am I want to sit with you I want to give my life to you you're the only one that can give me the peace and the healing and the redemption that I need in my life from that day forward when Mephibosheth this cripple pulled up a seat at the table and sat and ate with the king like one of the king's sons from that day forward everybody would know that this king was different. This king was not like other kings. You know, let me just share with you, maybe the, the, the history lovers will like this today, but back then, it was the custom of kings to kill the previous king's offspring, to kill all the relatives of the previous king so that way no one could challenge the current king's claim to the throne. Mephibosheth, as most of us know, was Saul, the previous king's grandson. And so Mephibosheth could have easily started a coup, started an insurrection, and probably gained many loyal followers of his own and led them away from King David. He could do all of this just because he was Saul's grandson. And there were no doubt sympathizers that were still more loyal to Saul than to King David, right? And so what David did by not only sparing Mephibosheth's life, this guy that could challenge his throne, but not only doing that, but inviting him into the house, into the table as one of his kids, this was unheard of. This was crazy. Nobody did this unless they wanted a knife in their back or be poisoned in their sleep. This was insane. But in an incredible act of grace, David risked his own life and his own legacy and dynasty by sparing Mephibosheth's life. And this is how David is a type of Christ in this story. Because this is what Jesus did for us. He did not only risk his life, but he gave his life so we could have abundant life. He gave his life to save and love even his enemies. All of us that became enemies because of our sin. He gave his life for us. He's a king of abundant grace. I'm just here to remind you, this king that we serve is not like other kings. This king that we serve does not have the same ideas and expectations as earthly individuals. This king is different. This king is full of love. This king is full of grace. This king is full of second chances and hope and deliverance. And while other kings back then only wanted royalty and perfection at their table, you know who they would invite? They would invite the celebrities. 
the singers and the songwriters. They, 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 would have, they would have people like the Hollywood elites and the actors sitting at their table. That's, that's who they wanted. The people all made up and looked good on the outside and, and just, just the nicest clothing and, and expensive plastic surgery. You know, this is the kind of people that those kings would want. But this king, King David, and of course representing our king of kings, th th this king was different. King David didn't care about royalty and about perfection. King David was delighted to have a broken person sit with him and feast with him. You, you don't understand how crazy this was. This was not the norm back then. Everyone else had perfect, beautiful people at their table. But King David said, I am delighted and excited to have this broken young man, Mephibosheth, come and sit at my table and be one of us. And once again, it's the same way with our King of Kings, Jesus Christ. He's not concerned who's the most talented, who's the most pretty, who's the most beautiful. He, he just wants the broken. He wants those who are willing to admit that they they need him. He just wants people that are willing to say, yes, I submit and surrender to the king. He's not looking for people with a perfect past. He's not looking for people who've never made mistakes. He's not looking for people who have a blue bl blood pedigree or anything like that. He's looking for broken people that would be willing to get on their knees and surrender themselves to him. You know why? Because when broken people get redeemed, they become the greatest trophies, the greatest testimonies. If God wants to show the world how powerful he is, the, the greatest tool he has to do it are broken people. The person who used to be a prostitute but is now a a prayer warrior, the person who used to be an alcoholic, but now they're a preacher, the person who used to put meth in their veins, amen, but now they're a Sunday school teacher. That is the greatest testimony. That's the greatest tool of God's glory to show the world how powerful he is. Those who have been forgiven much will love much. And Jesus wants people who will love much. So he goes for the broken and the destitute. He goes for the lonely and the forgotten. Amen. Those, those, those who have, have their sin has been the greatest. That means their repentance and forgiveness will be the deepest. That means their appreciation of grace will be the deepest. And these are the people who become leaders in God's kingdom. I've told you, he's not a king like other kings. And right now, in the middle of your brokenness, in the middle of your pain and your shame, whatever the case may be, God is offering you a seat at his table. In the middle of your questions about the past, about things you never asked for, the things that you don't understand why they happened, in the middle of all of that, God is offering you a beautiful future. In the middle of your pain, God is offering you deliverance and hope and peace and joy like you and I have never known. There's an invitation going forth to the king's table. And it is an invitation for those who have never sat at the table. Maybe you're here, you've not yet obeyed the gospel, you haven't yet been baptized, filled with the Holy Ghost. God's inviting you. But can I tell you, it's not just an invitation for those who have never sat at the king's table. It's also an invitation for those who maybe years ago pulled up a seat at the table, but you stopped eating at the table a long time ago. This invitation the Lord is offering, an invitation to greater intimacy with him and joy and peace and love. It's not just for those who have never been at the table. It's those who have pulled up a seat, but because the trials of life and the pains of life and the difficulties and the betrayal that comes, you've lost your spiritual appetite. So you've been sitting at the table with fork and knife in hand, but you have not been eating. You have not been feasting on the goodness of God. You've not been feasting on the joy and blessing of God. Come on. It is possible to sit at the table or to come Come sit at a pew in church on a Sunday morning and not truly be enjoying Jesus, not truly be feasting on him, not truly be feasting on his joy. But that's what he wants for each and every one of us. If you're here and things have felt old and things have grown stale and you're not enjoying your life living for Jesus, some things need to change. Amen. That means there's some things in us and in our life that's not aligned. It's not Jesus' fault because he is true life and true love and he is reality itself. But we've got to give that 
that pain and give those things to him that have caused us to lose our spiritual appetite so we can truly begin feasting as sons and daughters of the king. It ought not be that sons and daughters walk around this world spiritually malnourished, not enjoying living for the God that they proclaim to worship. We need to enjoy this life. He's got greater joy for you, sister. He's got greater peace for you, brother. I'm talking to everybody in this house. There's an invitation to the king's table today. Hallelujah. And do you know what the name Mephibosheth means? I'm sure there's some Bible scholars far wiser than I that know. You can look this up. There's a few different definitions scholars give as to what the name means, but they're really all connected. And the most common interpretation of Mephibosheth's name I could find is this. You ready? His name means the breaking apart of shame or the end of shame. The end of shame. How many has ever felt burdened with shame before? How many has ever felt ashamed? How many has ever felt condemnation? What I'm about to share with you, I believe in some way, shape, or form can help everybody in this house. That's the power of the word of God. The end of shame, the breaking apart of shame. You know, that name makes sense when you consider what Jonathan, Mephibosheth's father, went through. You see, his father, King Saul, constantly shamed Jonathan. Constantly. Jonathan was never good enough. Jonathan always had to try to earn his father's love and affection, and it never worked. Jonathan's father threw things at him, threw weapons at him, cursed at him. On one occasion, Saul shouted and cursed at his son in 1 Samuel 20 and said that he was ashamed to him and ashamed to his mother. In fact, the modern translation would be a curse word. Of course, I won't repeat. This is what he was yelling at his son, shaming him. And so when Jonathan, the one who was always shamed by his father, named his son Mephibosheth the end of shame, you know what I believe Jonathan was doing? Because he was a good man, David's best friend. He was pure. This is what he was doing. He was saying the shame stops here. The shame stops here. I will not shame my son the way my father shamed me. I will not curse at my son the way my father cursed at me. I will not perpetuate this cycle. I will not make him always try to earn my love and affection through his talents or abilities. I will give him unconditional love. I will give him unconditional grace. It's going to end with me and my family. The shame stops here. The end of shame. Hallelujah. That's what the name was trying to communicate. It, it stops. It's done. And someone in this place needs to understand, no matter what happened to you, no matter what mom or dad did or did not do, the cycle doesn't have to continue with you. It can stop right with you and with the blood of Jesus Christ. When you've been baptized in the name of Jesus and has his blood applied to your life, then guess what, honey? You have stepped into a new family. You've stepped into a new lineage, and you don't have to let that cycle continue. You can, if you don't work on it and give it to God, you can let that cycle continue, but you don't have to because the blood of Jesus is greater and more powerful. You have an opportunity to say, the shame stops here. And if I don't give my shame to God that I'm dealing with, chances are I'll pass it to my kids. Because whatever is not transformed is transmitted. Whatever pain is not transformed is transmitted. And so that's why I have an assignment today to help everybody in this place discover, uncover the shame that you've been living in. To give it to God and let him heal you of it. So that way with your own kids or when the time comes for you to have kids or a wife, you're not continuing that cycle. You're not perpetuating that cycle. You're not continuing the shame. Come on, that's what the king's table is supposed to do. When you realize that you're a loved son and daughter of the king and you get to feast with him and be with him the rest of your life, that is the antidote of shame. But you've got to truly believe how much he loves you. You've got to truly believe that he really is your heavenly daddy. Come on, that's the antidote to shame. The king's table is the antidote to shame. Hallelujah. And I believe, I believe the day that Mephibosheth accepted the invitation to sit at the king's table was the day his name was fulfilled. That was the day where the shame began to crumble and fall and break apart. You see, shame, shame doesn't only come from mistakes we've made. 
We also carry shame from things that have been done to us. When someone betrayed us, things that happened that were out of our control, feeling like we have nothing to offer, and carry a lot of shame with that idea. Being poor, there's all kinds of people live in shame because they're poor. Maybe you were orphaned. You didn't do anything to deserve that, but shame comes with that. There can be all kinds of different reasons why you or I feel and carry shame. And Mephibosheth was carrying a lot of shame. We already mentioned it. His family lineage, a wicked grandfather everyone knew about. He had to live with that hanging over his head. A dead father. The, 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 a, a, good, a good man in his life, so much better than his grandfather, but he didn't even get to have his dad for more than five years. You think orphans don't carry shame? They do. Everyone else on Father's Day got to come up to the altar with their dads and pray. And what did Mephibosheth do? Sat in the back in his wheelchair alone. You think he didn't feel shame? Crippled from a young age when all the other kids were playing sports, running around, having fun. Mephibosheth had to sit on the sidelines and watch. You think he didn't feel any shame over that? Shame, in fact, is why he called himself a dead dog. When David said, I want to dine with you. When David said, I want you to be a part of this, it was it, that voice of shame was still speaking. Mephibosheth said, no, I, I can't. I can't be better. I, I can't move forward. I, I'm nothing, King David. I'm just a dead dog. But the shame of his past was destroyed by the grace of the king. The meaning of his name was fulfilled when he accepted the invitation to feast with the king. You see, if the enemy can keep us in a cycle of shame, hating ourselves, condemnation, th then we will stay in a cycle of sin. That's, that's why people stay in cycles of sin. It's because they haven't dealt with the voice of shame, the lying voice of shame. But scripture says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8. So a relationship with Jesus is the cure for condemnation. It's the cure for shame. It's the cure for things that happen to you that you never asked for. He is the cure for mistakes that you made that you wish you could take back. Jesus is the answer for all of that. A relationship with the king is an answer for all of that. And the king Jesus is offering you a seat of honor at his table so he can destroy your shame. And let me just tell you something really quickly. You may have heard me share this before, but there's a difference between shame or condemnation and conviction. All right? If at any point while I'm preaching you feel condemnation today, you need to reject that, rebuke that. That's the voice of the enemy. But if you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, that's something that you should accept and listen to. Let, let me explain the difference. Shame or condemnation destroys the part of you that believes you can change. That's the voice that says, this is hopeless. I hear what the preacher's preaching. I'd, I'd like to move forward and have a better life, but there's no way. I'm too messed up. I'm not smart enough, da-da-da-da-da. All the reasons why it's never going to happen, it destroys the part of you that thinks you can change. That's the voice of the devil. Conviction is the opposite. It's from God. It might make you feel a little bit uncomfortable. It will show you of your need to change. But then with that, it will give you hope that you can actually change by the power of God. That's the difference between condemnation and conviction. Conviction will make you uncomfortable, but with it will come a hope and a sense from the Lord that says, hey, I'm making you uncomfortable, not because you can't change, but precisely because you can change. And because if you give this to me, you will change. That's conviction. So accept conviction and reject condemnation. Every time that lie says that you'll never be able to change, you'll never be better, that's not from God. That's from the enemy. But when the voice says, hey, what you've been doing isn't the best, the way you've been thinking isn't the best, the way, the way you've been feeling isn't the best, but guess what? Give that to me, learn from me, and I'll heal you of all of that. That's the voice of conviction. That's what God wants to do for someone today. He wants to heal you from shame. Mephibosheth was broken, but he was loved and not forgotten. He may have been lost, but he was not worthless. Listen to me. What happened to him when he was young did not disqualify him from receiving the love of the king. What happened to him when he was five years old did not disqualify him from receiving the love and delight and adoration of the king. And the same is true with us today. What happened to you 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, three years ago, whenever it was, what happened to you when you were a child 
Things that you never asked for. Things that hurt. Wounds that have stuck with you. Cause confusion that you feel like you're still carrying. None of that disqualifies you from the love of the king. None of that makes you unlovable where the king can't come in and wrap his arms around you. None of that disqualifies you from the grace and joy and mercy of the king. You can still have a blessed life. You can still have a good spouse, a good husband or wife, a good family, no matter what kind of hellish thing happened in your life. It's time for you and I to stop disqualifying ourselves, thinking of ourselves as less than, hiding and averting our eyes, living in shame because of things that happened to us that we never asked for. And even if, God forbid, it was something later on in life that you did, that it was a mistake you made, and you're totally responsible for it, it still does not mean that you should live in shame with your head held down, never thinking that you'll be able to get better, get ahead. No, that's what the blood of Jesus is for. That's what repentance is for. If you've been baptized and you tell Jesus you're sorry, guess what? That shame is washed. That shame is taken care of. Stop living in that lie that you're somehow less than or worthless or disqualified or forever dead. Damaged goods. What happened to you when you were young does not disqualify you from good relationships, a good husband, a good wife, good friends, blessings, love, wisdom, peace. God has all of that for you. But the question is, will you feast with him? Will you accept his invitation to feast? Will you let go of your own striving and your own uh, uh, desire to control everything and your own fears and your own insecurities and lay them at the feet of the king and say, Jesus, I want to feast with you. I've been sitting at the table, but I have not been feasting. I've been sitting on the pew, but I, I have not been enjoying you as I could. I feel locked up. I feel tight. I feel restricted. I, I don't feel the liberty that we're supposed to feel living for the Lord. And so, God, here's these things I don't understand. Here's, here's, here's my frustration. Here's, here's my desire to control everything that leaves me even more stressed out. Here's all of this different stuff. God, I want to truly to begin to feast with you. Remember in the passage we read where Mephibosheth was living, when David found him, he was living in a place called Lodabar. You know what that means? Lodabar means no pasture or no thing. He was literally a sheep without a shepherd. He, he was living in Nothingville. That's another way to translate Lodabar. Nothingville living in emptiness, living in pointlessness, living in meaninglessness, like some of you maybe felt when you walked into the house today, wondering what the purpose is to your life, waking up in the morning just having no energy to get out of bed because you just feel so empty and nothing. Or perhaps another way to put it is Mephibosheth was living in hiding, Lodabar, no pasture, no thing. You say, why? Why would he be living in hiding? I'll tell you why. Because shame makes us hide. Shame makes us hide. They're interconnected and almost synonymous. Listen, when you've done something wrong, the impulse is to hide it, right? That's human nature. You've done something wrong, even as a kid. You, you take that cookie out of the cookie jar mom told you not to, and you're trying to wipe away the crumbs and hide the rest behind your back. I mean, you, 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 you want to hide it. And when you feel like you are wrong as a person, then you will feel shame about your whole self and want to hide your whole self. Just like when you do something wrong, you feel shame and you want to hide it. When you feel like you are wrong as an individual, then you will hide yourself. You hearing this preacher today? You will hide yourself from goodness, from God, from good people. You will isolate and you will have a far less than life than what Jesus has for you. You will live be below the abundant life that Jesus has for you. You'll, you'll, you'll eventually self-destruct, amen, if you continue to listen to the voice of shame that tells you to hide. You say, preacher, I don't know about all that. Okay, let me give you some more evidence. We see this from the very beginning. Everyone good? Everyone with me? God's going to help us put a bow on all of this together today. And this is going to, if you, if you let this seep into your heart, this is going to help someone here today. We see this from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, okay? Adam and Eve sinned. And they were ashamed, the Bible says, right? And so what did they do because they were ashamed? They hid from the presence of the Lord. The problem with Adam and Eve is not that they felt a moment of shame over the sin that they committed. 
that's certainly a better response than simply not caring about the sin that they committed. We live in a shameless world, a shameless generation. I'm not advocating that we shouldn't feel at all any human shame if we've truly done something egregious and wrong. The problem is, is, is not that they felt shame. The problem is how Adam and Eve responded to the shame. They hid themselves. And we as humans have been making the same error ever since. The story of the fall in Genesis is an exact description of what we do when we feel shame. We hide from God. We might hide from him by staying away from prayer, by staying away from his word, or we might even hide from him just with busyness. We, we might hide from him through a multiplicity of ways. And let me tell you, I'm not just talking to people that maybe this is your first or second service here. I'm saying everybody, if we're not careful, this description can apply to us, and we can stop one day and realize, I've been going to church, but I've been hiding from God. Shame, of course, comes from sin that we've committed, like with Adam and Eve, and we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But as I mentioned before, shame can also come from emotional wounds, and that shame will still make you want to hide from everything and anything good. You can feel shame after someone has, has betrayed you. And, and if you always see yourself as a failure, then you are seeing yourself through the lens of shame. Shame is self-sabotage. Shame is self-defeating behavior. And, and it happened in the garden. It's been happening ever since. And regardless of the reason behind it, the voice of shame will always tell you to hide. Hide. You can't be your true self. You can't truly live in joy. You can't truly live in peace. Hide. Come to church and put a mask on. Hide. But when there is shame in your life, I've just come to preach to someone. Make the decision. Don't hide. If there's shame that has come from a mistake you've made, don't hide. Repent. Don't hide. Repent. It's normal to feel shame if you've made a mistake, but what you do with the shame is what's important. Don't do what Adam and Eve did. Don't hide. Repent. Turn to God and give it to him. Turn to God and give it to him. He'll heal you. He'll love you. He'll show you that you're still accepted and valuable. Come on. I believe the Lord wants to help someone come out of hiding today and expose the lies that the voice of shame has convinced you of. You are not what the lie, lying voice of shame has been telling you. You are not just irreparable. You are, you are not just messed up beyond repair. You, you are not just forever damaged, broken goods that can never move forward in life. Whatever the lie of shame has been telling you, the, the, the lie of shame that's been saying, if only people knew and pastor knew some of the thoughts that ran through my head, they wouldn't love me and they wouldn't accept me at this church, so you just want to hide. No, all of that is a lie. All of that is the dark voice of shame trying to keep you in hiding. We all have days where crazy thoughts run through our heads. That does not mean you are defined by those things that run through your head. And when we stop hiding, when we stop trying to cover ourselves all the time with spiritual fig leaves, so to speak, like Adam and Eve did, do you notice they felt shame, and then they hid? And one of the ways they hid was not just by walking away from the presence of God, but by trying to make a covering for themselves. But there can only be one covering. As long as you're always trying to cover yourself, you're not letting the king cover you. As long as you're always trying to cover your own back and trying to do everything in your own strength and make sure everything's good on your own strength, trying to cover yourself, then you are not allowing the king's umbrella and protection and covering to come over your life. You're not allowing yourself to live under the shadow of his wings. And at the king's table, guess what? The brokenness of Mephibosheth was covered. Because when he was seated at the table... When you're sitting at a table with a tablecloth on it and everyone's talking and eating, you're not seeing anyone else's legs. You, you can't see the other people's legs. You're, you're sitting there eating at the table. The table covers, covers everything else. It covers the legs. And when Mephibosheth was seated at the table, his brokenness was covered. Nobody could even notice the brokenness in his legs. He was seated just like everyone else. Everyone else, do you notice what's so awesome about the king's table? Everyone, everyone's equalized. 
There's no one who's head and shoulders above the other. There's no one who's more important because of their background or their wealth or their ethnicity or anything. No, at the king's table, everyone's equalized. We're all only there because of the grace and mercy of the king. And when Mephibosheth was there, no one defined him as a cripple anymore. No one looked at him as a cripple anymore. He was just like all the other king's sons, eating and feasting and laughing and joking and having a great time. And when we come into the kingdom and begin to feast at his table, we are no longer defined by our brokenness and our past. We are all made equal because Christ has covered our brokenness with his blood, with his table. Come on, somebody. Jesus specializes in broken people. If you're here and you feel broken. If you're here and you've been broken, you are exactly the kind of person that Jesus came here for. You're exactly the person that Jesus died for. He wants to deliver you from your brokenness, heal you from your shame, heal you from your depression, whatever it might be. Jesus specializes in broken people, and he's inviting you with all of your brokenness to the king's table today. This all right? You can be seated. I'm trying to hurry here. I know I stand between you and lunch, but God, God is speaking to somebody here today. You know, I'll tell you a quick story. In the early 1800s, just outside of Paris, France, there was a man named Louis. And Louis was a blind church organist. He was a devout Christian. And at three years old, Louis was playing with his father's leatherworking equipment. And anyone that's ever worked with leather, you're familiar with the tool called an awl, A-W-L. It's a sharp tool used to emboss things, poke holes in leather. And Lewis, at three, got a hold of that equipment, was playing with that sharp awl, and he accidentally poked himself in the eye. And he began to get in infected. He could not see out of that eye. Infection spread. They didn't have medical intervention like we do today. And he became blind in his other eye. Now he was completely blind. And that day, the blind were looked down on in that day and age, very much. We take for granted that people love the blind now and help them across the street and we care for them. And I mean, it would be considered a, a grave, grave sin today for anyone to do something unkind to the blind. Thank God. But it didn't used to be that way. In that day and age, the blind were looked down upon. They, they were looked at as maybe cursed by the gods. They, they must have done something wrong. Otherwise, they wouldn't have received such a terrible fate. These were, these were less than the, the outcasts. But because Lewis's father was a Christian... He chose to follow the example of the Savior, Jesus Christ, who did not ignore the blind, but loved them and healed them. And so inspired by Jesus, Lewis's father chose to love Lewis and raise him as a blessing, not a burden. And as Lewis grew up, he would hear stories in church about this man named Jesus, who was so much more than a man, God in flesh, who loved the blind and healed the blind. And he was also inspired by this. And so Lewis set out to create a system whereby he and other blind people could read. There had already been some, some, some systems at that point created to help blind people read, but they weren't very effective. And so at only 15 years old, only 15 years old, Lewis Braille created a system of raised dots that corresponded to the alphabet. And from that day forward, the blind have been able to see by running their hands over a page. In fact, I would dare say probably somewhere in this building, his legacy lives on. If you find an exit sign, there's probably required by state law Braille to be underneath it. His legacy lives on. And do you know what tool Lewis used to create his first Braille alphabet? He used the leather awl. The same tool that destroyed his eyes 12 years earlier. I take the time to tell you this story today because I truly want someone to understand. I want to attack it from every angle I can. Your brokenness does not disqualify you. What happened to you does not disqualify you. You don't have to live in shame about the brokenness or the dysfunction or the handicap. God knows how to take what hurts you and use it to help you. God knows how to take what hurts you and use it to help others. And we can either get bitter over the brokenness or we can give it to God and let him turn brokenness into blessedness. Let him turn pain into promise. Let him turn fear into faith. Let him turn depression into deliverance. Come on. Let 
let him turn something horrible into a testimony. That's what God wants to do for someone in this house. No matter what has happened to you, God can redeem you. And just like Lewis Braille, you can play your part in helping the world to see. Jesus specializes in broken people. He's inviting you to his table today. Somebody clap your hands and praise him. You can be seated. I'm hurrying for the sake of time. Why, Jesus, why do you hang out with those outcasts? Why do you hang out with the tax collectors and the sinners? Not because Jesus loves sin. No, he hates sin, but he loves the sinner. And, th- and this, there's people in the New Testament that asked Jesus the same question, and Jesus answered and said, the reason why I do this is because those who are well have no need of a doctor, but only those who are sick. And I am the great physician, and those are the people I came to heal and transform and use as lights and testimonies for my glory. Because when everybody sees those people who have been transformed, they will see that nothing else worked for them. The, 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 the rehabs, they helped, but it wasn't sufficient. The doctors, they helped, but it wasn't sufficient. That nothing could bring that person to that level of transformation except a power outside of this universe. Amen. And God wants everyone to know of his power and his grace and his goodness, so he comes for those who are sick so he can heal them and transform them and let everyone know how good and awesome he is. The body of Jesus was broken for us. Scripture says he was broken so broken people like us could be healed. He got out of his tomb so you and I could get out of ours. Tombs of depression, tombs of shame, tombs of anxiety. Jesus died, was buried, and rose again so you and I could be free from that. And so we could feast with him at his table. That's why it says in Ephesians 2 and 6, you know what we were made for? We were made to be seated in heavenly places. Some of us have been making our bed in hell and putting up, pulling up a chair in hell. You've been sitting in hellish places. But Jesus says, I have created a heavenly place for you. It's time to take the seat that God has prepared for you. It's time to stop sitting in the seat of the scornful. It's time to stop sitting in the seat of depression. It's time to stop sitting in the bed in hell. It's time, come on somebody, it's time to sit in the seat God has prepared for you to pull up a seat at the king's table and feast on his goodness. He is such an awesome, good, loving, amazing, fun, exciting, heavenly father. This is why in Psalms 23 and 5, you know what the psalmist said? You prepare a table for me after the battle's over. You prepare a table for me when I feel really good and got goosebumps and I'm hanging out with my friends. No. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Some of you have been saying, I can't live in joy, peace. I, I, I can't feast at the king's table for the Claiborne pastorhood because you don't understand all that's going on around me. I've got eyes poking out of the darkness. I've got enemies surrounding me. Maybe they aren't physical enemies, but enemies of fear, enemies of de- de- depression, betrayal, confusion. And you say, I've got, I've got to get out of this before I can ever feast and enjoy the Lord. No. That's not what the scripture says. The scripture says right in the middle of all these things you don't understand and don't control, in the middle of your brokenness, in the presence of your enemies, of doubt or fear or depression, you can accept the Lord's invitation, pull up a chair and feast at the king's table. And as you feast and as you focus your eyes on the king, the king says, just keep eating. Here, have some more filet. Have some more roast chicken. Have, have, have some more of this. Have some more of that. And while you're doing that and delighting with me and feasting with me, I'll take care of those enemies. All those eyes poking at you around the darkness. Listen, you just keep your eyes on the king. And the king will fight those battles and start slashing away at the depression. Slashing away at the anxiety. Come on. Don't wait to feast until everything becomes perfect in your life. Feast now and everything will start to change and get better. Some of us have been crippled or broken by shame, but God wants to set us free today. And I know this is a little different today, but I felt this on my heart to share with someone. God God does not use punishment or anger to end our shame. He does not beat us to end our shame. 
because he knows that will only perpetuate the cycle. He knows that every single day you're beating yourself up, just continuing the shame. So why would he come along and beat you too? It's not going to work. First of all, he's loving. He wouldn't do that, but just practically, it's not going to work. And what he wants you is to get out of that cycle. So why would he do something you're already doing that's just making it worse? The Bible says, by his stripes we are healed, not by your stripes. You can take that proverbial whip and whip your back all you want to try to keep yourself in line or punish yourself. And guess what? You will never be healed. You will never move forward by your own stripes, by your own whip marks. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. So you might as well stop and say, you know what? By his stripes, I am healed. I don't have to beat myself because he already took the beating for me. And it's about time I put my trust and faith in his whip marks instead of keep beating up on myself. Somebody needs to hear this today. By his stripes, I am healed. By the beating he took, I am healed. So I'm going to stop beating up on myself. So you know how he, he, he ends our shame? <laughs> We've been preaching about it the past 40 minutes. i got a timer. Don't get too nervous. I'm trying to come to a close. He uses feasting to end our shame. This is why Scripture says his kindness leads us to repentance. In Scripture, when someone is saved or delivered, in fact, why don't the musician come if she can? In Scripture, when someone is saved or delivered, you will often find feasts and celebration happening. You will find this all throughout your Bible. Because our shame ends when the feast begins. When we accept the Lord's invitation to eat at his table, when we accept his grace, when we give him our fears and all the pain of our past, all the mistakes of our past, all of our sexual mistakes, all of our drug mistakes, all of our inner and outer mistakes, whatever the case may be, when we give him all of that and we just begin to live in his love and grace, we begin to enjoy him, we let him wrap his arms around us, when we believe in his unconditional love, when we choose to believe in the goodness that he's offering us, that's when our shame begins to break apart and fall. That's when the name Mephibosheth comes true. We already talked about Mephibosheth as one example. I'll just give you a few more here this morning. What about Peter on the shores of Galilee? I, I want you to see that this is how the Lord ends shame. What about Peter on the shores of Galilee after he denied Jesus? You think he didn't feel shame? Yeah, no, he, he, he did. And anytime you and I have fallen short or denied the Lord. We've felt that same voice and experience of shame. And after three days of shame, three days not knowing if he'd ever see his Savior again, his Savior was gone, was dead. After three days of the burden of shame and guilt over what he did, he heard the voice of his Savior calling him from the shore saying, come dine with me. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what he said. Come have breakfast with me. Come eat some fish with me. Come feast with me. He, 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 he didn't push him away. He didn't say, more shame on you, Peter. No, after he came back to life, amen, after he was resurrected, he was there on the shore waiting for Peter. And when Peter started rowing closer, he said, come dine with me. I want to feast with you. You know how I'm going to end that cycle of shame that you've been in, Peter? And I'm going to use you to be the first Pentecostal preacher in history. I'm going to use you as one of the, the greatest apostles there ever were. You know how I'm going to do it? I'm going to destroy your shame by feasting, by hanging out with you, by sitting with you, by wrapping my arm around you, by loving on you. Jesus was saying, I want to be with you, Peter, even if you can't stand being with yourself. Even if you can't stand being with yourself, you hate what you see in the mirror. Peter, I still want to be with you. When you start to believe that, that a perfect, all-knowing, loving God wants to be with you, wants to hang out with wretched old me, everything, everything begins to change. And I've met some people, wonderful people that have been in church for a long time, and they have not yet, they did not yet believe what I'm preaching today. And so they were at the table, but they weren't feasting. They were at the table, but still, still there was just shame that they had not surrendered to the Lord. And Jesus is saying, I want to feast with you. I want to be with you. When you believe in that radical love, I'm telling you, saint of God, visitor, friend, everything begins to change. 
What about the prodigal son? It's another quick example. Most of us know the story. Prodigal son was raised in the father's house. He had everything he could ever want. And he made the decision to go leave and spend his inheritance on riotous living and prostitutes and blew all of his money. Next thing you know, he ended up in the pig pen, literally eating the food that pigs ate. The lowest of the low. A famine came over the land. He came to his senses. There was a beginning of repentance. And he said, what am I doing here? I have nothing. I'm eating the slop of this world. And there's a father, my father back in that house that would take me back. What am I doing here? And so he starts making his way back home. His father sees him from the porch, runs out to meet him. We know the story, takes him back in. He says, and, and he, he begins to, to love on him, and, and he says, hey, we're going to kill this really expensive calf for special occasions, and we are going to feast because a son of mine that was lost has now come home. Now, we know the story, but, but there was an older son. You don't have time to preach all this. There's an older son in the story as well that said, Father, how dare you? How could you? How could you do this? You know, I'm the one that stayed in the house, and he's the one that left. What are you doing throwing for him this celebration? Isn't this a little reckless, Father? This is not wise. You can't do this. Don't you know he doesn't deserve this? You know what the older voice his, he represented? The older, the older son, excuse me, was the voice of shame. The older son was the voice of shame, the same voice that you and I have heard before. This can't work. This won't happen. I don't deserve this. But the father is the voice of grace, countering that voice of shame. The father is the one that says, you're right, older son. He doesn't deserve this. He doesn't deserve it. But I don't give my grace and love based on what they deserve. I don't give it based on their goodness. I give it based on my goodness. The prodigal son's repentance allowed him back into the father's house. Hear me, I really am trying to come to a close. The prodigal son's repentance allowed him back into the father's house. But you can have a father's house reality and still have a pig pen mentality. You can be saved and loved and still believe the lies of shame. You see, his repentance brought him out of sin. But it was the feasting that brought him out of shame. And there's people here today, you've repented, you've been living for the Lord, you've been brought out of sin, out of darkness, but you've still been living in shame because you haven't begun to accept his invitation to feast. Listen, it's one thing to be allowed. It's another thing to be celebrated. It's another thing to be allowed back in the door. It's another thing to be celebrated when you come through the door. That's how Jesus sees you. That's how Jesus views you. It's one thing to realize God has delivered you. It's another thing to realize that God delights in you. Do you see the difference? You, you haven't just been delivered by a distant God. You've been delivered by a God who delights in you. And whenever there are people who want to be right with God, but they're so ashamed, God destroys the shame with feasting. The remedy for our shame is not beatings or punishment, even though that's what we deserve for our sins. The remedy for shame is celebration, feasting. His kindness leads to repentance. He took the beating for us so we don't have to beat ourselves. Why don't we stand all over this house? greatest example of destroying shame is what Christ did on the cross. He went to the cross to die for our sins and destroy the yoke and bondage of shame. Hebrews 12 says that Jesus endured the cross, disregarded or conquered the shame. He destroyed the shame so we don't have to live in shame. In 50 days after, his, after this victory, there was another feast. I told you, he destroys the shame with feasting. And this feast was called the Feast of Pentecost. This is when the prophesied outpouring of the Holy Ghost 
happened on this day. It was not a coincidence that God poured out his spirit, poured out his love and power on a day that was a feast day. I believe the Lord did this for other reasons, but the basic reason is because he wants us to understand that his spirit is a feast. Living for him is a feast. That's why He, the birthday of the church was on a feast day. He's trying to let us know, I am abundant. I have more than enough for you. Come on. I've got joy like you have never known. Come on. The day of Pentecost was an invitation to the king's table. That's why in John, just a few, uh, a little bit prior, Jesus stood up at a table. The king stood at a table and said, if any man thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And the same invitation is being offered to you and I today. If you've never been filled with the spirit, Jesus wants to fill you with his spirit. And if you've already received the spirit, but you've been living in shame, you've been living away from the king's table, or you've been at the king's table, but not eating on his goodness, he's inviting you to come as well. He wants you to feast on the fruit of the spirit. He wants you to enjoy his goodness. He wants you to enjoy the milk and meat of his word. Come on, when we live, when we have a relationship with Jesus, we don't have to live in shame any longer. We don't have to listen to that lying voice of shame any longer that crushes us and cripples us and causes us to just store everything inside until it implodes and wear our masks and hide from others and hide from God. It's time to come out of hiding. It's time to understand that God loves you who you are with all your flaws and everything. And you come out of hiding, you give yourself to him, and he won't leave you the way you are. Come as you are, but he'll change you and you'll leave differently. Come on, it's time to come out of hiding. I don't know who needs to hear this today. It's time to come out of hiding. Come on, there, there's per parts of your personality that the Lord has given you that you have hid. And there's parts of you that are way more joyful and way more peaceful and way more hopeful and optimistic, but you have hid them and covered them because of different things that happen to you in life. It's time to come out of hiding and begin to flourish in the Lord and become who he has created you to be. And if you're here and you've never received the Holy Ghost, the greatest gift you could ever receive. So many things begin to change the day you receive the Holy Ghost, filled with his spirit. The Holy Ghost may not take away all your problems, but the Holy Ghost will make you a new man or a new woman to face all your problems. The Holy Ghost is salvation. The Holy Ghost is deliverance. If you're here and you've never received it, I want to encourage you, don't leave this church today without seeking the Lord. He wants to fill you with his spirit. Can we lift our hands all over this house, and can we respond to the invitation to the king's table? Come on, he's, he's, he's better than you've been told he is. His goodness is far richer than we've understood. His joy is better than we've experienced thus far. His peace is better than what we've been told it is. Come on, the answer that you've been looking for is the king. The answer you've been looking for is at the king's table. Come on, Mephibosheth, this is the end of shame. The shame stops with me. The shame stops with my family. It stops right here. I'm going to let God heal it today. I'm going to give it to Jesus today. I'm not going to transmit it. I'm going to let God transform it. Come on. Come on. Come on. Hands raised all over this house. Lift your voice and begin opening the doors and windows to your heart. Come on. Let the king come in. Let his light flood in. Come on. The singers are going to begin, begin to sing. We're going to go deeper into the Lord's presence today. This altar is open. I want to invite everyone to come. Saint of God, friend, visitor, come on, that's it. Come and let him destroy your shame. Come on, Mephibosheth, let him come and end your shame. There's a Lord welcoming you with open arms, a smile on his face, saying, come on, feast with me. Let's have a party together. Come on, enjoy me. I'm, I'm better than what you think I am. Hallelujah. 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 Come on, that's it. Let's, let's seek after him. Let's seek after him. That's it. Surrender your shame. I'm not going to believe the lies of darkness anymore. I'm not going to believe the lies of shame. God, I am who you say I am. I'm not who shame says I am. Down to the slamming door in my face. I try to hide my scars. You 
Hot. 